Good evening. For all of you here, take your hymnals out. We're, we're shuffling a little bit with uh, controls tonight. But um, take your hymnals, turn to 485, and, and, and even though the title says stand up, stand up, it's your choice. You can stand up if you want to, but I'm going to stand right here and sing with you. 485, Miss Pat. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> Are y'all here tonight? <laughs> Are you here tonight with us online? Uh, just want to remind you, uh, if you are there online with us, uh, don't forget that we have our different ways that you can uh, watch us there. You can find us there on Facebook at HBC Tullahoma. You can find us on phone live streaming. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, you'll see all those things uh, that are there that you can find us on, so be sure to take notice of those. Uh, let me just remind you, too, that you can go to our church website, and on our church website, if you just, it's highlandbaptistchurch.com. Go about four tabs.
tabs over to the info tab. It's there that you can download our worship bulletin uh, that we have for each Sunday and then our children's worship bulletins uh, also. So just want to encourage you and remind you about those things. And then also don't forget... Uh, that we also you also can do your online giving there. Go to the far right hand side, click the Give Online tab. A real simple, real easy platform to do. You can drop it by the church anytime you want during our business hours, or you can mail it to us at Highland Baptist Post Office Box 1195, Tullahoma, Tennessee. If you're there, going to the website under the info tab, you can go ahead and download our prayer list there. So I want to encourage you to go ahead and get that ready because we'll be going over that in just a few moments. Uh, and then also, if you're here in person, don't forget that we still have some of the cards or some of the pictures of people from Ukraine that we want to remember in our prayers down here at the front if you want to grab one of those tonight to just take home with you so you'll be reminded uh, to pray for those individuals. And then don't forget our book also. I don't think I have one up here with me, uh, but we have our books, uh, the, the, life of, the Illustrated Life of Jesus uh, by Herschel Hobbs. I want to encourage you to pick up one of those if you haven't already. If you're at home and want to get one of those, uh, you can uh, email us at highlandbaptisttullahoma at gmail.com or highlandbaptist.cafes.net. Either one of those will get to us, or you can just comment there on Facebook, uh, and we'll get back to you and get your information so that we can send that to you. There's also a Revelation card, if you want to get that, that has the numbers in the book of Revelation and uh, what each one of those means, uh, because we're going to be getting into those not next week, but the following week as we get more into the prophecy uh, aspects. Uh, so just wanted to share those announcements with you. Don't forget, uh, this Sunday is time change, and so we've got to get used to that uh, again. So uh, that'll be this coming Sunday. Uh, we are still needing volunteers. We have some volunteers for this Friday uh, for the ministry that is going on out here with the, with the uh, uh, Westside Nazarene that is doing the food ministry. Uh, they, the cars line up out here in our parking lot, and they fill both parking lots pretty much every, Saturday, every Friday. Uh, and go down to Westside Baptist at uh, different intervals. But during the times from 9.30 to 11.30, we are now opening our restrooms in the ministry center. So I want to encourage you, if you would like to volunteer for that just for an hour or for two hours on Fridays from 9.30 to 11, we'll be opening that up. There's a sign-up sheet on the board out here. If you're at home and you normally come or want to come and help that, just shoot us an email or give us a comment there that you'll come and help, and we'll get back with you also on that. So just wanted to remind you of those things, those events coming up. We are still doing Easter eggs. I think they're trying to finish those up uh, here in just a, in another week or so, and then they'll be starting to collect some things soon for Vacation Bible School. So, uh, But if you want to pick up some eggs tonight before you leave, just look out here uh, in the hallway. They may have some out there uh, that you can pick up and take with you. Uh, we mentioned the people of Ukraine a moment ago, and I just wanted to share with you, I'd received an email from Mark Puckett, our director of missions, uh, and this was actually something that Brenton Cox, who's the pastor at First Baptist Manchester, uh, had shared in his uh, weekly uh, church newsletter column uh, from his church about the people in Ukraine, and I thought it was very interesting and just wanted to share it uh, with you tonight. It, it says this, we have all been following the news of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and praying for the people of Ukraine. Some of this I did know. Uh, he says, let me share with you some facts about Baptists in the Ukraine so that you can pray specifically for our brothers and sister in Christ, sisters in Christ. The Baptist Union is the largest Protestant group in the Ukraine uh, with about 100,000 believers in approximately 2,000 churches. Uh, Ukraine has the second largest population of Baptists uh, of any European nation, uh, slightly behind the United Kingdom. 
Uh, the Ukraine Baptist Theological Seminary has 1,300 students uh, studying for the ministry. Uh, Baptists in Ukraine send missionaries to other countries. In Crimea and Luhansk, the areas of Ukraine that are on that western area uh, that have for the past several years uh, been controlled by Russian-backed rebels, uh, there have been severe persecution of Baptist groups. The, the Ukrainian Baptist Union has been designated as a terrorist group uh, in Luhansk, and 44 Baptist churches there have been closed. Uh, the Baptist hymnal has been banned. And there are uh, reports of numerous pastors who've been beaten and robbed. Uh, Ukrainian Baptists fear that the same type of persecution uh, will be widespread in the whole country uh, if this invasion is successful. So pray for the freedom of Ukraine. Pray for the Baptist churches in Ukraine. Pray for Christians across Ukraine uh, that they will stand firm and that uh, God will give them the victory uh, over that. And so just continue to pray uh, for the Ukrainians there as we have them. Uh, on our list with the people of Ukraine. Uh, let me just share a few other updates that I have and then we'll ask if there's any uh, prayer requests. If you're there online, be sure to go to Facebook and comment on Facebook. That's what we're looking at here uh, to make sure if there's any uh, comments that you share so that we can uh, make note of that. I uh, want to remind you to pray for Wendy Crouch. She's doing her last treatment and uh, she's not been doing as well through those, so be in prayer for her. Uh, and Okay, and she'll have a, mid, a scan about mid-April to see how these uh, treatments have done. So keep her uh, in your prayers. Uh, we do also want to remember uh, Tommy Bass, who is Tracy Henderson's dad, who has stage 4 lung cancer. Uh, Wes McMinn, who has bladder cancer uh, and who has a procedure coming up later this week. Uh, we do want to remember um, also uh, Alicia Snell, who has her biopsy uh, later this week. Also, uh, we have been praying for Parker Crouch. He had fallen uh, and hurt his neck and back and had surgery on that. He is continuing to improve, but continue to remember him uh, in your prayers. And then also continue to remember Christopher. He's going through his therapy and doing great. He's almost to the point of walking without a cane at all, uh, but uh, still has about four more weeks, I believe it is, of therapy to go through with that. So I uh, just wanted to remind you of that and share that with you. Um, Miss Beverly Daniels has finished her uh, treatments, and so we just continue to pray for her that everything will come back good when they uh, check her. Do you know any more about her? Okay. And then also um, remember Johnny Barnes. Uh, Johnny Barnes, she hasn't been since COVID uh, to be with us, but she had some medical issues recently. She had to go in the hospital last Thursday and Friday for them to get some of her medications regulated. Uh, so we want to remember her uh, in our prayers as she's still going through those things. And then do remember Erin Murray uh, as we've been asked to pray for her as she has uh, breast cancer and just want to pray for her as she, they uh, begin uh, her procedures and, and they'll have the wisdom and discernment about the proper things uh, to do. Uh, there's many others that are on our prayer list there. If there's any we need to specifically mention or give an update on, let me know. But if there's any others in here that we need to add, All right, and I'm looking online, and I don't see any online that we need to share. 
Okay, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer then. Uh, if you, for, for some reason, don't get to put that in before we do these, uh, please share that there online, and we'll uh, look at the very end just to make sure, and we'll mention those at the very end. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your grace and for your mercy and your loving kindness. Thank you, Lord, for being with us today. We thank you for the wonderful, beautiful day that you've given us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the rain that will, will bring the growth uh, this spring. Uh, Father, we just thank you for uh, all that you send our way because you know it's in your perfect time and your perfect will and your perfect way. And even the bad things that happen in life, Lord, we know that you can bring those things uh, to glory for you and good for us. And so, Lord, as we're coming before you tonight, we want to come before you, Lord, with humble hearts, with clean hearts, that you would hear us in our prayers. And, Father, we just come confessing any sin that we may have. Uh, we know that you promised in your word that if we uh, hold on to iniquity, hold on to sin in our lives, and we do not confess it, we do not ask forgiveness, we don't repent of it, then you will not hear from heaven because that blocks our relationship with you, our fellowship with you. And so, Father, I pray that we'll start with our prayers that way uh, to get everything clear with you before. If there's things, Lord, that we've done uh, that we shouldn't have done, bring all of that, Lord, out into the light that we might confess it before you. Lord, if there are things we should have done, and we didn't do, that your word very expressly commands us to do, then, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us also uh, for not doing the things we should have done. So, Father, I pray that you will cleanse us, hear our prayers from on high, wash us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and give us a fresh, new, clean start with you, uh, even in this evening. Father, we come before you on behalf of all of these that are on our prayer list and many others who are on our hearts, maybe even unspoken requests that we have of, of things that we're going through personally. And so, Father, we just pray as we uplift these things to you that, uh, Lord, you know each and every person here. You know their life situation. We ask, Lord, as you are the great physician, to have your healing hand upon them, to touch them and to bring that healing that they need. Lord, to touch them and to wrap your loving arms around them that they would sense and feel your presence and your power in their lives as you uh, begin to work in their lives. And Lord, even those who still have to go through the valleys that they're going through, help them to know that you are with them and that you will walk with them and be with them through those times. Uh, Lord, we pray that you will give each and every one of these a peace that passes all understanding, especially those, Lord, uh, that are on our hearts that have lost loved ones uh, in these last days. Send the Holy Spirit, who is the great comforter, to bring comfort and peace to their hearts. Uh, Lord, we just uplift them to you and ask for you to guide them and continue to be with them in the days ahead. And Lord, others who still have upcoming procedures, uh, Father, we know that uh, you are the God of all wisdom, and you have told us that if we lack wisdom to ask, and you will liberally give us that wisdom. So, Father, we come tonight asking that you will give those who are, who are caring for these individuals the wisdom, the discernment uh, that they need in, in taking care of them, doctors and nurses and caregivers, whatever, Lord, that they might need or discernment they might need to give the proper care. We just ask, Lord, that you will give that wisdom to them. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the blessing that you've given to those uh, who are caregivers that, uh, that they can minister in, in that way. And I pray that they would indeed see that as ministry. Father, we pray uh, that you, though, would continue to show up in a powerful way in each one of those individuals' lives uh, in the 
caregivers as well as in the one who's receiving the care. And Father, we just pray that you will walk with them, uh, let them know that you are with them, even if they are going through the valley of the shadow of death. Help them, Lord, not to fear any evil, but to know that you are with them, that your rod and your staff comforts them and guides them and keeps them safe around every turn, around every bend. So, Lord, bless us tonight as we come to study your word. Uh, We just want to give everything to you and ask, Lord, that you will speak to us in a powerful way through the book of Revelation. Uh, Father, we pray that as we continue here through these letters to the seven churches here now at the Church of Philadelphia, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will uh, just speak to our hearts in a powerful way through the truth of your word uh, and help us, Lord, to, to gain and understand the things that we can apply to our hearts and our lives from this letter. And we just ask your blessings upon it as you've told us in this uh, wonderful book that those who read this word, those who hear this word, those who keep this word will receive that blessing. So help us to be able to do all of those things, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, Revelation 3, and verse 7 down through verse 13. Revelation 3 and verse 7 through verse 13. So I'll let you get there for just a second. And we're going to read verse 7 to begin with. And then we're going to go into a little bit of background before we get into uh, most of the application and the message to the church at Philadelphia. So look, if you will, at verse 7. And verse 7 says this. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. And so I want you to see tonight that of all the seven churches, if we could have chosen which church we would have wanted to attend, we probably, after we get through looking at this church, this would be the church Uh, most of us would have wanted to go to the church at Philadelphia. If we could have attended only one service at this church, it it would have been the service uh, that this service here where the letter to the church at Philadelphia was read to the congregation. You could just imagine because we've already read there are seven letters. So this is the, the sixth letter of the seven letters. Five of those letters have already uh, gone out to the churches. And you could just imagine here, they had probably heard of the other letters that Jesus had written. Uh, they were probably nervous uh, as they're getting ready to hear what does this letter have to say. Because if you remember, all the letters circulated through all the churches. So even though it may have said to the church at Ephesus or the church at Sardis or the church at Thyatira or, or the church at Pergamum, it, it was also to be circulated to the other churches so they could see, so they would not also uh, fall prey to the same mistakes that those churches were making. So you can just imagine as they're getting ready to hear their letter... Uh, to the church here at Philadelphia, they're wondering, oh my goodness, we've heard all of these things that are happening at these other churches. What is the Lord Jesus going to say to us uh, in our congregation, especially because uh, of one of their neighboring uh, churches and and what they had heard about them at Sardis? Uh, Remember, Sardis had been called a dead church. uh, And they're thinking, oh gosh, what is is he going to call us now? And they were wondering, as the pastor nervously opens this letter, I wonder what Jesus is going to say about us. And so uh, this church, though, had nothing to fear because Jesus only had words of commendation for this precious 
little fellowship. He didn't have one condemning thing to say about this church. That's unbelievable. Because all the other churches, he at least had one thing to say about them. But the church at Philadelphia, nothing negative to say about them. Uh, this church was kind of like a rose between two thorns. On the one side is Sardis, uh, who's a dead church. The next church we're going to look at is the church of Laodicea, a disinterested church, a lukewarm church. But here at Philadelphia, Philadelphia was a dedicated church. They were a faithful church. This was a wonderful church that served a wonderful Lord. And so in verse 7 there, we're told that Jesus is pure in character. Notice there at the very first part of verse 7 that it says the words of the Holy One. Jesus is absolutely holy and righteous, untainted by sin, uh, unscarred by iniquity, and unmarked by temptation. He resisted temptation just as we face uh, temptation. We're told that, that the Lord Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews 7 and verse 26 says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So when you looked at Jesus, there was nothing that you could find wrong with him. There was no stain, no spot, no blemish, no blot, no guilt, no guile, because he was pure in character. He was holy. Notice also he was perfect in conduct. Notice what else that it says there in the second part of verse 7. It says he is the true one. He's not only the holy one, he's the true one. So notice, Jesus isn't just the one who tells the truth. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way, what? The truth and the life. And so he is truth. You see, a person can be truthful and yet not be true. You see, unlike many people, Jesus not only tells the truth, he is the truth. The difference between us and the Lord Jesus is this. We try to practice what we preach. Jesus always preached what he practiced. He was always true. He, he was 12 inches to the foot, 36 inches to the yard, six in, 16 ounces to the pound. Uh, but we're also told that he was, in powerfully, he was powerfully in control. So notice there that it also says that he, in, in, verse, in verse 7, uh, the, the third part here in 7c, he is the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Now, keys in the Bible, and this is where we get back to some of our symbolism that we talked about when we began uh, this study of the book of Revelation, that it's going to be a lot of symbolism in here. Keys in the Bible represent authority, represent power. If you have the keys, you're the one in charge, right? If you have the keys to the car, you're the one who's in charge of where we're going. You're the one who's driving. Uh, if you have the keys to the house, you're the one who unlocks the door. Uh, you don't get in the door if it's locked without the keys. Keys in the Bible represent authority and power. So Jesus is the keeper of the keys. And in fact, this verse is a reference back to the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22 that says, And I will place on his shoulder... The key of the house of David, he shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. Almost word for word what Isaiah had told us there. Uh, in that passage, to give you the background there, we're told that Eliakim and his son Hilkiah uh, had been given the key to the house of David. That is, he had been given the key to the treasure house uh, of the king. It's simply just telling us here 
that Jesus is our resource. Jesus is our provider. He has the resources. He has the ability to meet all of our needs. In fact, Paul says it this way over in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19 where he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So is there a need that you have? You may think uh, that's a silly question because we all have needs. Well, I tell you, on the authority of the one who holds the keys to the storehouse of heaven, then if you believe God, you're right with God, you're a child of God, he will meet all of your needs. Maybe not all your wants, but all of your needs. And it's such a tragedy when we hear people say, well, I wish we could do this, or I wish we could do that, but we can't because we don't have the money, we don't have the resources. I tell you that there is no work of God that fails for lack of finances. I've heard people say, well, I can't go on a mission trip. I can't go do this in service for the Lord because I just don't have the money. God will provide if you will make yourself available. Dr. Vance Havner said this one time. He said, we will always have all we will need to do all that God wants us to do as long as he wants us to do it. And so the same Savior who had the key to God's treasure house, uh, who fed 5,000 men with a few loaves and, and a few fishes, is alive in a well today. And I tell you this, that God, the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he will not leave his righteous forsaking. He will not leave us begging for bread, but he will meet all of our needs. And that is our wonderful Lord and Savior, a Lord of sanctity, a Lord of, uh, of sincerity, a Lord of sovereignty who introduces us to the church at Philadelphia. So that's why we needed to understand what he's writing here in the first verse because it lays the foundation here for the rest of the letter uh, to the church at Philadelphia because he has some important things to say to them that he has to say to us even tonight. So what I want you to see first of all tonight is there in verse 8 in the application of this is the opportunity of the church. The opportunity of the church. Now Jesus begins by saying here in verse 8, he says, I know your works, which he said that to some other churches before. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Have you ever gone somewhere and you've had a door slammed in your face? Hear what Jesus says. I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Now, there's two kind of doors that Jesus holds the keys to. He holds the keys to doors that are open that nobody can shut, and he holds the keys to doors that are shut that no one else can open. There are several kinds of doors to which Jesus holds the key, uh, to, holds the keys that when he opens them, no one can shut them. When he does open them, we must and we should walk through them. Here's the first key uh, that we see in the scriptures is the door of grace. Here's that first door that he holds the key to, the door of grace. So when Paul and Barnabas, if you remember, when they had returned from their missionary journey, they came to Antioch and they gave a report there to the church at Antioch. And you'll read over in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 14 and verse 27, here's what it says in their report. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. 
Did you know that Jesus is the only one who can open a door of grace, a door of faith, the door of salvation? He is the only one who can open uh, that door to anyone, anytime, anywhere. So if you are listening to this and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, then you can take the key of faith. Uh, he, he has already opened the door of grace to you. And all you have to do is trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And you can walk through that door uh, down the hallways of heaven and be saved. Now, there are some who say, I want to be saved. But I just can't do, I, I just can't, I can't bring myself to do it. Uh, that's not true because Jesus never opens a door to anyone who can't walk through the door. So unless you've committed the unpardonable sin, which you haven't if you are desiring to be saved, then the reason you want to be saved isn't because you can't be saved, but because you won't be saved. And so that door is open to anyone who enter. In fact, that's what John 3.16 tells us, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that who? Whosoever believeth. Anyone who would trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. In John 10 and verse 9, here's what Jesus said in John 10 verse 9. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That's why this word here about the open door is important because Jesus himself says, I am the door. Jesus has opened the door of grace and no man can shut it. I want you to see the door of the gospel also. The door of the gospel is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9 says, For a wide door, uh, they're praying for a, asking the church to pray for a wide door, for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Paul was referring here to a door of opportunity to preach the gospel in the city of Ephesus. Uh, again, when you look in his letter to the Colossians, in Colossians 4 and verse 3 and verse 5, here's what he says. At the same time, he says, pray, for, uh, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am, I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And so Paul was praying that even while he was chained in prison there, that the gospel might be freed, that an opportunity, that the door of the gospel would be open to continue to go forth. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12, he says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord. So if you think about that, have you ever considered the fact that, that witnessing is simply walking through the doors that God has opened for you? Did you know that when you get an opportunity to witness, to share your faith in Christ with someone, it's not because of your slickness, it's not because of your persuasive speech and your persuasive words or, or just coincidentally uh, you were in the right place at the right time. It's because Jesus opened that door at the right moment, at the right time. And when someone opens a door and you refuse to walk through it, that is often a matter of courtesy. But when Jesus opens a door and you refuse to go through it, that is a matter of commitment. And so I want to tell you that, that all over, 
all over Tullahoma and all over this nation, there are people whose doors have been opened by God and he is simply waiting on us to, to have the faith and the courage and the boldness to walk through the doors that he has brought into our life. He brings people across your path every single day, open doors for you to have those gospel conversations with. So remember the next time maybe you take your Bible to work with you uh, or or you're out in public, uh, the next time you attend a church service, the next time you turn on a, a religious program on TV, remember you're living in a country with an open door. And we need to walk through the open doors that God gives us. Notice that third one, the door of the grave. The door of the grave. Now we read in Revelation 1.18. In Re- Revelation 1.18 it says this, And the living one, it says in the living one, I died and behold I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Who is it that has the keys of death and Hades? Jesus So this is a door that when Jesus shuts it, nobody can open it. Uh, When they close the coffin, it'll never be opened again. When you die, that's it. It's over. That's a door that is closed. When it's closed, you cannot open it again until Jesus comes back. So those are the three uh, doors that Jesus has the keys to. Uh, I want you to see some observations of the church, though also in verse 8. So he says, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. And notice what he says here, uh, in the light of the great opportunity that this church had, Jesus makes some surprising observations. Notice what he says in verse 8 here. He says, I know that you have but little power. The first thing you need to see about this church is it was a feeble church. It was a feeble church. That's what he's saying. You have but little power or a little strength. So comparatively speaking, this church was a rather weak church. This church didn't have the great reputation the church at Sardis had. It didn't, remember the church at Sardis? Uh, they were an elaborate church. They, were a, uh, they had all the facilities uh, that you could want. They were living in a rich uh, culture and, and place there. Uh, and, and we notice uh, it, it was a church that didn't have uh, the, the, the carpet on the floor, the padded pews, the chandeliers hanging from the ceiling. I'm sure at first glance, it was a very unimpressive church. They didn't have a big budget. They didn't have a lot of programs. Uh, they weren't a, a large mega church like some of the other churches we've already read about. If you had driven by that church, you would have been struck by the same thing that Jesus was struck by. What a small, weak church that appears to be. On the outside. And that's true that this church didn't have a lot. It was kind of like most of our families uh, when we were growing up. We didn't have a lot growing up, but we had a lot of love. In fact, we know that this church had a lot of love because of the name of this church. The name Philadelphia, what does it mean? The city of brotherly love. We know that from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Everybody grows up knowing that, what that name means. Well, that's what this church name meant. It meant brotherly love, the church of of brotherly love. This church may not have had everything it wanted, but it had more than enough of what it needed, which was the love for God, a love for their brothers and sisters in Christ, and a love for the lost. It might have been a small church, but it had a big heart. And this church at Philadelphia, they may have been small on the outside, but it had a great heart on the inside. So not only uh, was it a feeble church, notice also, though, it was a firm church. 
It was a firm church. You see that in the, in the third part here uh, of, of chapter eight, uh, verse 8. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word. You have kept my word. Now, the reason why Jesus had opened up such a door of opportunity for such a seemingly weak, feeble church was because this church had kept the word of God. We have the Word of God before us. They didn't have it in this form like we do tonight. Uh, they had uh, the scrolls and, and oral, the oral giving uh, of the Word of God at that particular time. The, word, the New Testament was being written. Uh, they had copies of this uh, of the Old Testament in the synagogues and pieces of the, uh, of the scrolls and synagogues as they went around from one place to another. Uh, but this was a church who, when they heard what God's Word said for them to do, they did it. They kept it. Now, if you go back to the beginning of the book of Revelation, you remember that blessing? There's a blessing for those who hear the word, who read the word, and what's the third blessing? Who keep the word, who do the word. And so this was a church who had kept his word. What really matters with Jesus is not our ability, but our dependability. Greatness is not a matter of scholarship. It's a matter of relationship. This church was a loyal loving, lasting fellowship of believers who kept the word of God. Now, we may talk about that as a church, but understand this. Who is the church? We are the church. The people in the church uh, at, at, at the church at Philadelphia were the church. So he's not talking about just a structure there. He's not talking about just what happens there in that building. Uh, he's talking about the individuals who are filled with the love of God, uh, uh, individuals who are, who are firm in their walk uh, with the Lord. And so uh, we see here that they were uh, loyal, they were loving, they had a lasting uh, fellowship of believers who kept the word of God. Understand that a church can't be true to God unless it's also true to the Word of God. So when you're studying the Word of God and you're reading the Word of God and you see this is what God's Word says for you to do, then you should do it. You should live it. You should try to practice it in your life. Uh, Martin Luther said this. He said, we hold the same reverence to the Word of God that we do to God himself. This is God's Word. And this church, whatever else it was, was a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching church. A man and his word may be different, but God and his word can never be separated. Uh, Psalm 138 verse 2 says, For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Your word. The only thing other than Jesus that was in heaven when, when this world began was the word of God. Because the Bible says in Psalm 119 and verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. His word will never pass away. It has stood the test of time and it is here for us today. It is here for you in your life so that when you read God's word, this is God breathed, God speaking to you. And you need to study God's word in that way. Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Lord, what are you trying to tell me? Notice it was a faithful church also here in the fourth part of verse 8. Not only had they kept my word, but it says, and they have not denied my name. They have not denied my name. It was a faithful church. They weren't, they, they weren't just true to the scriptures. They were true to the Savior also. 
and, and because they knew that if you denied the scriptures, you ultimately are disgracing the Savior. So if you hear God's word and you study God's word and you see, here's what God's word says about how you're to live, and you refuse to do that, you are not just turning a blind eye to the word here. You're turning a blind eye to the Savior of the word, to Jesus himself, to the Savior. And so uh, even though it wasn't a popular thing to do, and even though it cost them their very lives, they remained true and they remained unashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. This was a church that was determined that it was going to stay by Jesus all the way to the end. Uh, this was a church that carried two marks uh, of a great church. They were marked by an unswerving loyalty to the word of God and an unshakable love for the son of God. But notice they had some opposition. Not that God had things negative to say about them, but they had opposition. You know, anytime you're trying to live for the Lord, the devil's going to throw everything he can at you, uh, including the kitchen sink. <laughs> And so we see here in verse 9 down through verse 11 this opposition to the church. This church was uh, living daily in the fire of persecution. All the churches were. It was facing opposition from every corner, uh, just as we shared with you about the opposition that's being faced by the Christians there in Ukraine. And so I want you to see here the fierceness of the opposition. Jesus refers to their opposition. Notice uh, in verse 9 here, he says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Uh, notice who he's talking about here. They weren't just being opposed by, by, by like us, by humanism or liberalism. Uh, they were being opposed by the synagogue of Satan. Now, we've heard that term before. Uh, to one of the other churches. And, and they were literally up against the very forces uh, of hell, Satan himself. In fact, because they were a faithful church, that's why. Because the devil doesn't care. If you're a church that's like the church we're going to read about next week, the church at Laodicea, the devil's, whoo, I don't have to do anything. That church is lukewarm. They don't care about the Lord. So what does he have to do to, to bring opposition to a church like that? But a church, believers who are seeking to live for the Lord, he's going to do everything he can to get you off track. He's going to put every obstacle in your way that he possibly can to get you focused uh, on the circumstances and the situations rather than focused on God himself. And so they were up against the very forces of hell, Satan himself. So if you want to make, uh, if you want to make some enemies, then just get saved. I mean, they, they, uh, then, then make up your mind that you're going to stay true to the Word of God and, and to the Son of God. And when you do that, when a person is saved, uh, they automatically make three friends and three enemies. When a person is saved, they become a friend of God the Father, a friend of God the Son, and a friend of God the Holy Spirit. But you also become immediately a, a, an enemy of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, you have to fight against the glamour of the world, against the greed uh, of the flesh, and against the, uh, the godlessness of the devil. In other words, they become an enemy of self and of sin and of Satan. But there's a wonderful thing that those three friends that you have take care of those three enemies that you have. God the Father takes care of our sin because he took care of sin by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us and, and, and to be raised from the dead. God the Son 
took care of Satan when he was raised from the dead, when he willingly gave himself on the cross for us and was resurrected from the grave. And God the Holy Spirit takes care of ourself by filling us and indwelling us. So understand that we face opposition just like this church did. And when you do face opposition for seeking to live for the Lord, it may not be in exactly the same way as this church was. It may not be the way the church is in Ukraine. But if you're seeking to live with, for the Lord, you're going to face opposition from the devil. And, and you don't need to fear you don't need to fret because here's what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. You've overcome those things of the world. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What an awesome encouragement to this church. But also notice the failure of the opposition. The failure of the opposition. You continue here in verse 9. And he says, talking about that synagogue of Satan, those who say they are Jews and are not but lie, in verse 9 he says, Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Uh, because uh, you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world and to try those, uh, coming upon the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. He says, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. So notice what he says there. He says, I will make them, I'll make this synagogue of Satan come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. There's some wonderful news for us today if you love Jesus. Is that you don't have to fight for victory. You fight already from victory because he's already won the victory for you. Uh, we have to be honest, the church of Jesus Christ today faces some, some daunting uh, enemies, atheism, humanism, materialism, uh, paganism, and liberalism. They're, they're all for one and one for all when it comes to their hatred of, of Jesus Christ. But I tell you that the book of, the, of Revelation teaches clearly and plainly that we are going to win in the end. So when you take your stand for Jesus, you're already on the winning side. So you are already fighting the battles that you're facing, that you're going to face in life anyway. You're already fighting those battles from a winning side already. You're already facing those battles from the victory already. Because what's the worst that you could think of that could happen to you here on this earth? Lose your life. Lose your life. Somebody kills you for your faith in Christ. What happens to you? Be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. You still won. So it doesn't matter. Either way, you win. Now, we don't want that to happen, and we hope that doesn't happen. But at the same time, we have to realize that we have already won the victory because Jesus won the victory at the cross and at the grave. Here's the, the last thing I want you to see. The last point from these uh, last two verses is the overcomers in the church. Because Jesus closes this sweet letter here with some tremendous words of encouragement to this faithful flock who are faithfully being true to their Lord Jesus. And when it comes to great churches, the church at Philadelphia may very well be at the head of the class at the judgment seat of God. I want you to see their position in God. Notice their position in God. Verse 12 says this, The one who conquers... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which came down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. 
What do we see there? That one of these days, those of us who love Jesus, those who have been faithful to him, he promises, makes a promise to us, made a promise to this church at Philadelphia, that those who are faithful to him to the end will be a pillar, a pillar in God's church. What is a pillar? A pillar here is a symbol of solidarity. It's a symbol of stability, of of strength. What the Lord was saying to the church at Philadelphia was, even though you may appear from the outside to be weak, you may appear to be weaklings, even though the world may think of you as an insignificant little church over there in Philadelphia, one day, he says, in heaven, you're going to have the prominent position of being a pillar in the house of God. You may even feel that way in your own heart, in your own life. I'm just a nobody. Who am I? But I want you to know this. If you love the Lord and you serve the Lord and you're faithful to the Lord to the very end, he says, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. What a wonderful encouragement to us that he elevates us to that position. Notice not only their position, but also notice their possession, their possession by God. Uh, We see that in the remaining part there uh, of verse 12, uh, where he says, Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so uh, notice here, uh, you know, Our children have our last name because they're ours. Uh, They belong to us. They were uh, birthed by us. They were. uh, They they have our last name. They'll always have our last name, even though they may go get get married. uh, They still carry that with them because they're our children. Uh, You know, sometimes we bring a dish to somebody's house, a a dish that we've cooked, or or we bring it to church. What do you always do with those dishes? You always put what on the bottom piece of tape with your name on it why so they'll know that that's yours and you get it back it's it shows your possession on it and so what God is saying here is not only are we going to have a great position we're going to be a we're going to be a great possession we're going to be we're going to belong totally lock stock and barrel for now and all eternity we're his special possession Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 14 and verse 7 and verse 8. He said, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. In other words, none of us here are an island to ourself. If you're a believer, your life is, is intricately connected to God the Father and by virtue of that has to be connected to other believers because we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. So none of us live to ourself and none of us die to ourself. Verse 8 says, for if we live, we live to the Lord and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, what are we? We're the Lord's. We are his. And so this promise is a promise that that is not only made to those here in the church at Philadelphia, but it's a promise that has been made to those who have the courage and the commitment to walk through the open doors. If there was ever a church that was given an open door, it's this church. And so may God continue to open up door after door, Uh, of the salvation to the lost, 
of service to the saved, and may we always walk through the doors that God has opened for us. The church at Philadelphia, they were walking through the doors God opened. In other words, they weren't trying to make things happen themselves. God was doing that. God brought people across their path. God brings people across your path. Make the most of those opportunities that you have. God has brought you here, this place, to be a part of this fellowship. Why? Because he wants you to be uh, connected to this body of believers. He wants you to be serving God uh, through this church. And so uh, he has an open door of service for you. And so be faithful to serve him in, your, in, in his kingdom uh, work. And always be willing and available to walk through those doors that he's opened. And when you do, God will bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much. What a, what a blessing this passage has been. And Father, I just thank you for this church at Philadelphia. What a wonderful church, a church of brotherly love, a church that was faithful to the end. And Father, I just pray that we as believers would be like the believers at the church at Philadelphia. Lord, we know that to be a church of love, like the church at Philadelphia, we have to be filled with the God of love. So fill us, Lord. Lord, if, if in our heart and in our soul uh, we have opened our, our minds and we have opened our lives to the ways of this world and the things of this world, we are becoming double-minded in the things we're trying to do and we're not being effective in, in our walk with you. And, and so, Lord, I pray that you will help us to close the door to the devil. To, to close the door to the things of this world, to the, to the lust of this world and the pride of life and all of those things that are temptations out there for us. And Father, I just pray that as we close that door, may we open, Lord, the door to the windows of heaven, the door to you, that we would spend more time than ever before, as we said this past Sunday, going deeper, deeper in our relationship with you, deeper in the word of God, deeper in serving you. And Father, as we do that, may we be filled more and more with the spirit of God. The more we're filled with the spirit of God, we know, Lord, that the less room there will be in our hearts and our lives for the things of this world and the things of the devil. Lord, I know we're going, to be, uh, we're going to be facing persecution. We'll face trials because of that, because the devil's going to uh, do everything he can to keep us from being those faithful, committed followers of Jesus that we could be and should be, because then he, help, he keeps us from winning others and bringing others to faith in Christ and helping those who have already come to faith in Christ to grow in that walk. So, Lord, I pray that you will fill us with your presence. Help us, Lord, to resist the devil and that he would flee from us. Father, help us to be faithful in all that you've called us to do. May we be like this church at Philadelphia. May we love you with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And may we love others as ourselves. Lord, bless our lives tonight for having read this word, for having heard this word. But especially, Lord, help us to keep this word in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Glad you were there online with us. We'll be back this Sunday uh, at 9.15 for Sunday school, uh, 10.30 for worship. So come and join us in person if you can. Uh, if not, you can find us there on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, phone live streaming, any one of those platforms. We look forward to seeing you again this Sunday as we study the life of Jesus. You come and join us, and we'll see you then. Have a blessed week.